This is Bigger Questions with your host, Robert Martin. Welcome to Bigger Questions, recorded live in the city of Melbourne. Today's show comes from Darabin Presbyterian Church in Melbourne's Inner North. Now, we usually record before a live audience, but due to coronavirus restrictions, today we have an online audience. Today's big question, are we greedy? We're asking this question today to Dr. Brian Rosner. Brian is currently principal of Ridley College in Melbourne, and Brian has worked as an electrician's offsider, a public servant, a school teacher, and a university and theological college lecturer. He's the author of numerous books, including Greed as Idolatry and Beyond Greed, and he joins me now. Brian, welcome to Bigger Questions. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, glad to be here. That's good. Now, Brian, you've worked in a variety of jobs, electricians offside, a public servant, school teacher, lecturers, etc. So did your attitude to money change uh, with these different roles? I think it was more to do with my age in terms of my attitude changing. So as a young man, I barely gave it a thought. Right. I was just happy to have enough to uh, afford to live and go to the movies occasionally. Yeah. Um, as I got older, I guess, I started to think about uh, buying a house and those kind of things. Yeah. So money early on was about uh, getting by and some pleasures. And then later on in life, it's become more about uh, providing and getting some kind of security, I guess. Right, okay. Well, we're talking a bit about money today uh, as we kick off bigger questions. Uh, And to kick off bigger questions, we like to ask a couple of smaller questions just to get us thinking a bit. Today, we're talking with Brian Rosner about money and materialism. So, Brian, I thought we'd test you on how much you know about the 1987 Academy Award-winning movie, Wall Street. Now, have you ever seen the film? I have, yes, yeah. but it's a little while ago. So <laughs> right. so you look a bit nervous there, uh-huh. so perhaps. We'll see how you go. Well, there's two questions, both multiple choice. Question one, what was the working title of the film Wall Street? Was it A, Money Talks, B, Greed, C, The Gecko Eats the Bull, or D, Pink Fluffy Unicorns Dancing on Rainbows? <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with, uh, what was A again? A was Money Talks. Yeah, Money Talks. How about that? Well, it wasn't actually. No, sorry, it was B. Um, Greed was the working title of the film. Apparently, Wall Street was the first feature film to show a character using a cordless mobile cellular telephone. How exciting. So it was obviously a show about greed. (laughs) So what better way to show greed than mobile phones? Yeah. So do you think it has the same appeal then, being calling greed rather Uh, than Wall Street? Probably not. I think greed's had a a bit of a... A different reputation in different ages. Yeah. So in the 80s, greed was well thought of and actually there were three slogans on Wall Street, which is what the film's about. Yeah. Um, uh, two of them are... Well, the most famous one is greed is good, but yeah. they also used to say buy, buy or die and lunch is for wimps. Right, okay. Well, there we go. So greed might have worked, but they'd call it Wall Street nonetheless. That was the final title of sure. the film. Sure. So well, that's an iconic uh, location. It, it is, it is. Okay, question two. Now, the most famous line from the movie Wall Street was said by the character Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas in his Academy Award-winning performance. Now, Gecko says, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right, greed works, greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. He then says, greed in all of its forms has marked the upward surge of mankind. He then outlines four forms of greed, one of which was money, but which of these was not one of the four forms of greed endorsed by Gordon Gecko? Was it greed for A, life, B, love, 
C, wisdom, or D, knowledge? I'm going to go with C, wisdom. And that's a good one to go because that's the right answer. <laughs> yes, well done, Brian. Yes. Well, knowledge is good for you passed. You got one of our two smaller questions, right? And if there was a live audience here, we'd get them to applaud for you right now. So Brian, Gordon Gecko claims that greed is good in all of its forms, but what exactly is greed? I think there's two sides to greed, and most people know about the first, don't think so much about the second. So the, the first one is there's an insatiable grasping for more, mm-hmm. usually money, material possessions, and there's also a selfish keeping and a refusal to share. So the, the other side of the coin is the refusal to share and the, the hoarding, if you like. So mm-hmm. um, the solution to the first half is contentment, yeah. and the solution to the second half is the sharing of possessions. It's generosity, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. So you're yep. saying yep. there's two sides to it, excessive yep. grasping and sort of selfish retaining yep. are sort of the two elements of greed. But they're both greed, though, you'd say? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I think... Uh, um, avarice, greed, whatever term you want to use, it usually covers both those aspects. Yeah. So why do you think greed is uh, usually seen negatively, though? Well, I'm not sure that it always is, because, mm-hmm. as you say, the, the, the film uh, that Michael Douglas starred in had that famous line, which was, in the 80s, a slogan, really. Yeah. And uh, I think a priest reported in, in his memoir that he'd never had anyone confess to greed in the confessional. And there's a sense in which Michael Douglas was right, a very small sense, but in the past, ancient societies were limited good societies. So to to gain more meant someone else lost. So there were only so many fields. If you got bigger fields, someone else had a smaller field. Whereas capitalist economies are built on the assumption of unlimited goods. So we can all prosper. Mm. And the more I prosper, that might benefit you as well. Yeah. So I get a bigger pie, so to speak. So That's right. If the pie gets bigger, then we all benefit. Yeah, and, and sometimes we trivialise greed as well. Most commonly you'll hear, don't be greedy after the chocolate cake's brought out and someone takes too big a piece or has a second piece. Yeah. So why is that seen negatively though? Well, it, it's not necessarily, but what ends up being more negative is the kind of greed that other people engage in. So a bit like pride, no one fesses up to greed, mm. but we can certainly see it in others. The most obvious one in our society is the, the greed of corporate executives who are overpaid. But the truth is that greed ends up being quite destructive because of the selfishness at its heart. Mm. So it destroys communities and it uh, has... Uh, at least to other behaviours that most people would certainly regard as uh, negative. So is that why it's perhaps it's connected then to why greed for money and material things is perhaps seen more negative, where things like greed for life, love and knowledge is not necessarily seen so negatively? A number of years ago there was a book called Affluenza, Mm -hmm. which compared greed to a disease, and the disease idea is that people want more and more for various reasons, for satisfaction, for security, but it doesn't actually provide what Mm. you're after, and so you never stop. And as it turns out, in the Middle Ages, Christians had the same analogy. They compared it to dropsy, which apparently is a disease where you take on more and more fluid because you're so thirsty, but it ends up killing you. Mm. So do you think it's too much then to describe materialism or greed as a disease? Um, I think it's a helpful analogy in some ways. The Bible's analogy is even more striking, though. It compares greed to a false religion. 
Yeah. So Jesus himself says that you can either serve God or mammon. So you can see the religious connection there. Yeah. Paul talks about greed as idolatry yes. in a passage in one of his letters to the Ephesians and one to the Colossians. And elsewhere in Romans and Philippians, he says that uh, in some people's cases, their God is their belly. Yes. So... Um, obviously, idolatry is a really serious sin in the Bible yeah. for all sorts of reasons. Well, why is idolatry a, a, a sin in the, in the Bible? Uh, there's two reasons. Uh, one is that uh, idols are gods that fail. Mm-hmm. So basically, we run to idols and worship idols because of what they promise. They might promise us security or satisfaction. In the ancient world, uh, idols uh, promised you um, uh, fertility or a good crop. Mm -hmm. And one of the sharpest critiques of idolatry in the Bible is this idea that they're actually gods that don't come good on their promises. They're Mm. gods that fail. The other reason is that the one thing that uh, provokes God's jealousy in the Bible is idolatry. Mm. So in a sense, it's the top of the hit parade, if you like, of sins in the Bible. Idolatry is the worst possible sin. It led to the nation Israel's exile, um, the, so severe judgment comes yeah. on people because of their idolatry. Yeah. Well, in, you just mentioned now in the, a verse in the Bible in the New Testament book of Colossians, uh, where the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.5, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, you've been outlining why, why idolatry is so bad, but un, unlike, say, wooden or metal statues, uh, idols that people could see, greed is invisible, So how do you recognise it as an idol then? Uh, So basically what you've got with the greed is idolatry uh, judgment is a figure of comparison. So it's a metaphorical idolatry that we're talking about. It's not a literal bowing down to idols. And the way to understand it, I think, is to ask ourselves, what do idolaters do in the Bible with their idols? Mm -hmm. And then to see the connection with what people do with money. So idolaters in the Bible do three things. They trust their idols, they love their idols, and they end up serving their idols. And I think there's a sense in which all three are true of people with material possessions uh, with respect to greed. And in fact, in the history of interpretation, those three things have come to the fore in different periods. So in the early church... Three things again. Yeah, so so, uh, um, in the early church, serving... um, uh, forbidden a forbidden service of material things, yep. which is an odd idea, but you end up, you think your material things are serving you, but uh, you're so um, so engrossed in increasing your possessions and servicing them, if you like, that you end up serving them. Yep. So Martin Luther in the Reformation period talked about an idol as that to which you run for protection. And I think uh, that's certainly the case with us with money. We look to money as a source of security and protection. And in the modern period, the love of money has really been what uh, people have concentrated on. Right, yeah, yeah. Question just come in from our text line from our online audience. Worshipping statues might be foolish since they have no real power, but surely money is real and has real power. It can help us. Um, to some extent, I think that's true. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the ancient world, Jesus would talk about things like moth and rust destroying mm-hmm. material things. And even in our world, if you look at the GFC, um, uh, things are not necessarily as secure as we might think. Yeah, so, so th- th- that's true. There is some sense in which money can deliver, but ultimately money doesn't deliver on its promises of security and satisfaction. I think... uh, How come? Well, uh, it's not just Christians who say this. So uh, social critics, psychologists have said 
that, um, the, that having more and more money doesn't necessarily lead to happiness. And we've had a happiness index for some decades now where people have measured uh, well-being in, in that sense, happiness. And as it turns out, um, material progress has, um, has an inverse relationship with the happiness index. So it, it's a very odd thing, but the richer we get, the more we aspire to material success, the less happy we've become mm. in Western societies. Do you think it's almost like a disease then, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> you could go with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then how could God be better than money, though? Well, um, God, to recall my earlier comment about idols, is a God that does not fail. Mm -hmm. So God does deliver on his promises, mm -hmm. uh, security and satisfaction being among them. And it, we're talking in an ultimate sense. So the New Testament doesn't guarantee material prosperity for people. So there's no sense in which um, you could either look to a God, um, the God of money for material success or to God and expect to get material success. I think that's a big mistake. But what you get with God is ultimate satisfaction and uh, God does deliver on the promises. That, mm -hmm. That's the basic idea. Do you want to unpack that a bit more? How so? Because that would mean that surely Christians are the most satisfied, happiest people in the world. Well... Happiness is an odd term, isn't it? And we need to be careful how we define it. So happiness is really, in this sense, about contentment. And Christians ought to be content uh, because um, one of the commands in the epistles in the New Testament, uh, one of the letters to the Hebrews says, flee from the love of money, be content, and God will never leave you or forsake you. So I, th I think there is a sense in which Christians can have a sense of security and satisfaction in God which gives them a security about the future um, that um, is ultimately very satisfying or should be. It can also bring joy in the present. So to know that you're reconciled to God, have a future with him on the basis of the death of Christ, as Christians believe, that, that winning us our salvation, to use that term, uh, should bring great joy and contentment. Mm. Can't you also get great joy and contentment from buying a brand new motor car? Well, I think you do, but it kind of tapers off. And um, there's a psychological term for this. So, for example, uh, some years back, I bought myself a new computer and uh, it was a big widescreen thing that sat on the desk. Those, those days are gone, of course. And I was so excited about it. Everyone who came to the door, I would take them in and show them the computer. Yeah, you had guests at the house and you'd show, you'd show them the computer. Uh -huh, sure, it was very <laughs> exciting. And this little button, I could watch movie trailers on it. Um, after a month or two, it became my computer. I just had to sit there with a keyboard. And the same goes for our cars, for our sofas, for our houses. There's a kind of, we get habituated to them. And that's one of the reasons we find it so difficult to be content. We're, in our society, there's always an upgrade that you can aspire to. And there are always people on the ladder, one rung above you, uh, that you can be envious of. The, the irony, of course, is that those people are envious of the people above them on the ladder. Mm. Another question's come in from a text line from our online audience. How do we get Australians to believe that property is not all there is? <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, certainly the, the meaning of life in Sydney is a waterfront property. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't want to be misheard here. It's not that I'm saying that there is no uh, pleasure in material things. In fact, God says... Is that part of the problem? Well, it's part of the problem, but it, it's keeping it in perspective is the solution. So Paul gives advice to the rich in one of his letters to Timothy, his delegate. He, he says to him, uh, instruct the rich... Uh, not to put their trust in riches, uh, but to thank God for 
all the good things that he gives us to enjoy. So there is a sense in which we are to enjoy our material possessions, but there are some things that are more important than them, and to put our focus there is, is when we get into trouble. Mm. So this passage here in Colossians 3 talks about put to death uh, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. Uh, so if we put to death greed, will that then give me a relationship with God? I think it's the other way around, actually. We're, we're talking about new life in Christ comes as a gift from trusting in him. And then the new lifestyle will involve less selfish living and more contentment. So it's not that um, we need to put sin to death in order to have a relationship with God, be accepted by him, to have a future with him. It's the yeah. other way around. We have, an, we have acceptance with God. We have a future with him on the basis of the gift of his son, uh, who died and rose for us, and then a lifestyle flows from that new life in him which should involve less greed. Mm. So how can I tell if I'm greedy? I've got a test, actually. I'll, I'll, put, one, I'll put a list of questions to you. Can sure, we, OK. Can yeah, just yeah, turn right. things so, over. So, yeah. so the first question is, are you alive? <laughs> yes, I think then so. Then you're greedy. <laughs> so, so, so basically, human beings constitutionally want more. So there's this desire... Um, right down in our very being, which says, I want more and more. So the question isn't, should I stop desiring more, but where should I put that desire? So it's, it's a redirection of desire that the Bible recommends. So rather than pursuing material things, Jesus talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount, what you shall eat, what you, what you shall wear, we should put our desires and uh, our yearnings elsewhere. In, in that case, he talks about the kingdom of God and righteousness. So um, there's another play on words occasionally that happens in the Bible where... Jesus says that uh, rather, being, rather than being rich in this world and storing away possessions endlessly, we should become rich towards God. Mm. So I, I think that's, that, that's really the solution to greed ultimately. It's not about just stopping desiring. It's about desiring something better. It's redirecting the desires. So, so you're suggesting that perhaps Indeed. greed is an endemic then? Uh, in humanity in some sense. Properly understood. I think greed is endemic. And, and I'm not the only one who said that. So psychologists, theologians, mm. philosophers, Immanuel Kant said the same thing. He was a that, philosopher, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he said that um, to be human is to want more. Yeah. So you're saying, though, that, that basically we're, we're all greedy, but there's this we need to redirect those desires. And, and you're perhaps suggesting that redirecting those desires towards God is actually going to be more fulfilling and productive. Indeed. And contentment and the generous sharing of possessions is also the solution to mm. greed. So it strikes me, for example, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says to those who used to be thieves, he says, let the thief steal no longer. Um, let them earn money, not so that they might be independent, but so that they might have something to share with others. Mm. So I think the, the individualism of Western culture feeds our greed as well. Mm. Now, Brian, you've written a couple of books on greed and materialism, including Beyond Greed. Uh, why was that? Was that because you were hoping to get lots of fat royalty checks? <laughs> um, as it turns out, I was an academic at the University of Aberdeen in those days. I had a 12-month sabbatical in Germany, and I was looking for a research project. <laughs> right, okay. And I picked three words from the New Testament that uh, we've already mentioned. Greed is idolatry. The joke in Germany was that uh, I'd spend four months on greed, four months on idolatry, and four months on is. 
Uh, no one really laughed, but... Uh, right, OK. Yeah. But you did, though. I did, yes, <laughs> yes. But having said that, it wasn't just an academic thing. It was a personal thing. Mm-hmm. I, I've always felt, like everyone else in Western culture, this, uh, this yearning for more and more. When you go to the bank to get your mortgage, you, many people borrow the very, as much as they possibly can. And people think about their own giving in terms of, if only I had more money, if I had a bigger income, I could give more. Mm. The truth is probably that uh, if I were more content, I could give more. Um, yeah, so it was a personal thing as well as an academic interest. Mm. So how about yourself, Brian? You've mentioned that obviously it's, a, it's an issue for yourself because it's an issue for everyone. Um, but there was one particular time in your life when you had a particular financial opportunity. Do you want to unpack what happened? Yeah, so I, I had a fairly big mortgage and a friend told me about a way of taking part of that mortgage and investing it at a higher rate than I was paying in interest. And I did that, but unfortunately uh, the investment went belly up and the chap actually went to jail and I ended up having to sell the house. So there was a sense in which I've had periods in my life when I've had financial difficulty and other times when I've been uh, more comfortable. Mm. And it does remind me of the Apostle Paul who said, uh, I've learnt to be content in whatever circumstances, when I abound and when I am abased. So I don't want to pretend that for everyone we can always give um, as as generously as uh, everyone else. Or There are seasons in life too, it must be said, when we're more able to give. And learning to be content in difficult financial circumstances is just as much a challenge as learning to be generous when we're in better financial circumstances. Mm. So maybe just say to when you started that process about applying for that second mortgage, what was driving you there? Because there's certainly there's prudence and wisdom to paying off a mortgage quicker. So what's the difference then between greed and, and prudence? Well, I, I, I come back to those three things I mentioned earlier. So an inordinate love, um, excessive or misplaced trust and a forbidden service. So I think probably in my case, there was a sense in which I was trusting my financial resources to improve so I'd be in a more secure position. It reminds me in the 19th century Victorian Christians when life insurance was first brought out, uh, they thought that this was not a good thing because it was an alternative to trusting in God. Uh, so it's it's a fine balance, isn't it? And uh, you could always convince yourself that you need to put more money into super, you need to pay off your mortgage uh, more quickly. But the other question to ask yourself is, um, am I content and am I generously sharing my possessions in the present? Mm. And those things will need to balance out and you need wisdom to navigate them, I think. Mm, Yeah. Well, speaking of wisdom, the Old Testament book, Wisdom Book of Proverbs, offers some wisdom for greed and materialism. Proverbs 30, uh, verses 7 to 9 says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonour the name of my God. So this speaks about neither poverty nor riches. So how is this a better vision for materialism than greed is good? Well, it does remind us that some people are are badly off, and there are temptations for those people as well. So there's no pretending that being short of money is is not a difficult thing. It really is a very difficult thing. And I, I feel at the moment for the people during the pandemic in Australia and around the world who've lost work mm. or had their wages decreased, it can be very difficult. But it does remind us that you need wisdom for both, 
for both the situation when I don't have enough and for when I have plenty. The danger when I have plenty is I feel like I don't need to trust God anymore, I've made other arrangements. The danger when I don't have enough is that I will end up uh, cursing God because of the difficult circumstances I find myself in. Steal and dishonour the name of God. Indeed, yes. yes, yes yeah. yeah. I suppose then there's wisdom about uh, neither poverty nor riches. So if Gordon Gecko was greedy for wisdom, what do you think he'd do differently? Yeah, I think he uh, completely lacked any sense of proportion and uh, ran just after money. Money was completely his obsession and that's what he was insatiably pursuing. So I, I think I'd say then what, what's more important than these things? What could replace or have, what, what could be a different goal for those insatiable desires? Mm. And uh, is, real, is life really about material things? Because in the end, they don't satisfy, as we were saying earlier. They're of real benefit, especially in a relational context. So it's a good thing to have enough money so you can have people come over for a meal or mm. take them with you on a holiday. But um, to make them the ultimate thing is, um, is, is, is so dangerous. I think another definition of idolatry is taking that which is contingent, something which is secondary, and making it primary or absolute. Mm. Mm. Another question uh, from our text line, from our online audience. Greed might be bad for us, but why would God be angry about us being greedy? Well, it comes back to greed as idolatry, I think. So um, God is most angry when we worship other gods. I mean, if you look at the history of Israel, that's what it's all about, mm. um, making sure that the people of God don't end up worshipping other gods. Mm. And um, it's not just a kind of selfish tyrant who demands our attention. It's not like God's like that. God wants the best for his people. And uh, the best thing for us is to worship the true and living God, not dumb idols. Mm. And, and money, in the end, is one of those dumb idols that doesn't deliver. A couple of questions are asking, again, from more questions from our text line from our online audience, asking about some practical ways to overcome greed. One specifically has asked, what practically can we do to help find contentment? Yep. Um, I think uh, putting giving in place is a good thing. So I think in terms of my own giving with, with Nat in, in our family, we have our set and forget giving um, to the church, to, uh, um, uh, to remembering the poor and so on, and then opportunistic giving. So something might come up, some possibility comes up. The, the other thing is to the natural world. So I, I, I recommend uh, um, uh, going bushwalking, keeping chickens, um, doing the gardening, realising that there's something more to life than the material things that, that I can gain. And often those activities are social things because relationships in the end are fundamental uh, to, to human existence. We're social creatures and if we're looking for a fulfilling life, that's where we should be investing our energies. And as it turns out, that's very much what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God is about us being reconciled to God and reconciled to each other in, in our, yeah. our communities. So, Brian, are we greedy? Uh, yes, I think we are. Uh, and the alternative to greed in the uh, negative sense is to be greedy for something else, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Mm. And that's good news? Indeed, absolutely. Let me leave you with some of the Bible's answer to the big question, are we greedy? From Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. I look forward to you joining us next time for Bigger Questions. Thanks very much to our guest today, 
Dr. Brian Rosner. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, everyone. Hi, everyone. Rob Martin here, host of Bigger Questions. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope it got you thinking. Now, if you've enjoyed this show and want to invest in bigger thinking, and maybe you could support us on Patreon. Even for as little as US $1 a podcast, you can help create a better dialogue around the bigger questions of life. Uh, go to patreon.com slash biggerquestions for all the details. Now, we are getting to the end of 2020, and it feels like this year has been a year of asking big questions. So next week, we're reflecting on what happened in 2020 with a view to consider what might happen in 2021 as I ask two of my City Bible Forum colleagues, Andrew Laird and Sharon Chung, the big question, so will 2021 be any better? But there is something else about next week's show that will shock you. An event that has never before happened in the history of bigger questions. I think it's perhaps the biggest scandal to rock this show in its history. Now, I recorded the conversation we're going to play next week remotely using a platform called Squadcast. And after we'd finished the show, I kept the recording going. And little did I expect what would happen as Andrew admitted something that he'd done. Um, uh, confession time. I googled the first uh, smaller question. Oh, you cheated! <laughs> oh. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist because I thought, oh I thought, goodness. I thought, well, I, 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 is, I can. We're still recording, you realise. Wow. Unbelievable. You are the first guest to cheat <laughs> on bigger question. I thought I could, I thought actually I, I can in this instance, Google. <laughs> but it was a question of how quickly I could Google. And the first thing I got up was 2019's word. And I was like, oh, so you might notice I was padding while I put 2020 in to, to bring it up. This is unbelievable. Wow. This, is, this is a, a scandal. A scandal. A bigger question. Scandal. scandal. Oh, Why didn't you Google you know, the second one? I at least I'm glad I've, I'm glad I've recorded that because that's going to make a great promo. We can, that, we can put that in the promo saying, hey, guess what? I cheated. That's right. Yeah, thanks. I googled the second. So everyone's one. going to be keen to listen to this episode now to find out what that be, what that uh, yeah, small question was. Yeah, what did Andrew have to have to cheat on? Which question? <laughs> yeah, I, so that I, means it's a hollow victory. It's a hollow victory now, well, Andrew. A hollow I, victory. It is. It is. I did. Try, <laughs> I did try googling the second one, but I couldn't get it in time. So I did legitimately get you that right. Get that right. Okay. <laughs> so okay. you did legitimately we, we pass. You. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So there you have it, the bigger question scandal. Now, we might edit some of Andrew's Googling cheating pause in the final show next week, but to find out what question he cheated on and their reflections on 2020 and moving on to 2021, tune in to Bigger Questions next week. Finally, ensure that you like Bigger Questions on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please share this show with someone you think might benefit from it, and let's get more people exploring the big questions of life. I look forward to you joining you next week, but in the meantime, remember to keep asking the bigger questions. <laughs>